Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, every time I hear the end of that video, I always think that um, Star Wars stormtroopers are going to come barging in the back doors. Well, it's so good to be with all of you this morning. A special welcome to you folks who are tuning in online. We're glad that you're joining us as well. And today we're going to continue our series in the Gospel of Mark by taking a look at a passage in Mark chapter 12. And this passage is a really challenging passage in that it talks about resurrection, the dead coming back to life again, which for those of us who are Christ followers... We believe in the resurrection because it happened to Jesus. I mean, it's a cornerstone of our faith. And because it happened to Jesus, we believe that it will happen to us someday as well. This passage takes a look at, if there is such a thing as a resurrection, what about marriage? Is there marriage in heaven. So, kind of light topics for us to throw around this morning on a snowy uh, Sunday. But let's pick up in Mark chapter 12, verse 18. God's word says, Then the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him, came to Jesus, with a question. Now, first off, I don't know if you're like me, but there are many times when I read scripture, and I'm like, man, I just don't understand what I'm reading. You know, the people have funny names. They're cities I've never heard of. Anyone else like that? That's kind of how I feel when I read about these guys, the Sadducees. Now, this is the first mention of these guys in the Gospel of Mark. But they, they pop up from time to time as we make our way through the Gospels. But who were these guys exactly? Well, in the first century, Jewish rule of law was governed by a group of 70 men who were responsible for interpreting and enforcing Jewish law. And this group of men was called the Sanhedrin. In the Sanhedrin were two main divisions within Judaism. The more conservative one were the Pharisees. And we read about these guys periodically. They were adherents to the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, but also to oral tradition and the rest of the Old Testament. And this is an important distinction for us to remember as we continue on this morning. They also believed in the resurrection and spiritual beings like angels and demons. And they could not stand the Romans. The Sadducees, on the other hand, these guys were the other body within the Sanhedrin. They were a smaller group than the Pharisees, but they were very powerful and very influential as they were the party of the priesthood. The chief priest, the top dog, if you will, of the Sanhedrin was almost always a Sadducee. The Sadducees were the wealthy, the elite, the aristocratic businessmen of society, and they were also Roman sympathizers. And because of their views on Rome, the common people, they weren't big fans of the Sadducees and much more preferred the teaching of the Pharisees. And add, add further division between these two groups, the Sadducees denied the resurrection and 
they do not believe in the existence of spiritual beings like angels or demons. So, needless to say, these two groups were polar opposites of one another. But despite their many differences, the one thing both groups could agree on was their mutual disdain for one person, Jesus. And what we can learn here is the first point, if you're following along in the outline, is that confrontation happens. Confrontation happens. In today's world, entrepreneurs who upend the status quo in a particular field are known as disruptors. They disrupt an industry because they often bring fresh and new ideas. In the first century, Jesus was a religious and cultural disruptor. He was a guy who threatened the way the Sanhedrin went about practicing Judaism. And this episode that we're reading here in Mark is one of several instances where the religious leaders of the day came to Jesus and either questioned what he was doing Or they pose a difficult question to him in a confrontational manner. Many of us have had similar circumstances where you've experienced confrontation at some point in your life because of your faith. And if you haven't yet, you will. Especially in today's culture that is becoming more and more secularized. And the secularization is being celebrated while at the same time, Christians are being demeaned. If you take a stand because of deeply held biblical convictions, this will inevitably bring about confrontation. Many of you have felt this in your own families. You felt it in your place of work where there's a clash between deeply held Christian beliefs and things that perhaps your employer are asking you to do. So, as the Sadducees confront Jesus, here's what they say in verse 19. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died leaving no child. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. Now, the first thing that you notice here is that they cite Moses. And remember, they do this because the Sadducees only accepted the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and they believed that Moses was the author of those books. And the Old Testament passage that they're referencing here comes from Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 25. If brothers are living together, and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. The first son she bears shall carry on the name 
of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. Now, some of you ladies hearing this, you're probably sending up shouts of hallelujah that this is not the law we abide by today because you're probably thinking, Mary, my brother-in-law? Ew. But at the root of this is keeping the dead husband's name alive. This was called leveret marriage. See, in that culture, it would have been a real tragedy if a man's name was not carried on through descendants. That's where the living brother comes in. If the living brother is able to produce a son, then the name of the dead brother shall continue on. So now the Sadducees, they get to their question. Verse 23, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be? Since the seven were married to her. It's a fair question, isn't it? Now again, this is one of several instances that the religious leaders would come to Jesus and try to trap him with a difficult question. We heard an example of one last week. You remember Pastor McKenzie. She referred to it as a loaded question. The leaders at the time, they came to Jesus and they asked him, who should we pay taxes to? We'll look at another challenging or loaded question in a couple of weeks where the leaders will come to Jesus and ask him, what is the greatest commandment? So several times, these guys come to Jesus with questions that had religious and or uh, political implications. And of course, the ironic thing about the Sadducees asking a question about the resurrection is what? They didn't believe in the resurrection, right? They simply believed that once a person dies, they're dead. The soul in their belief system did not continue on in the afterlife. So, Jesus, he goes on to answer their question of whose wife will this gal be? Verse 24, are you not in error? Because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Now, for some of you, the thought of being married to your spouse forever would not be a heavenly existence. But seriously, this topic of eternal marriage is something that many people wonder about. Our Mormon friends, we have a large Mormon population here in Fort Collins, they believe in eternal marriage. They call it sealing for time and all eternity. This idea of being married to your spouse forever is something that is very appealing to many people, especially to those of you who have lost a spouse, a spouse whom you love deeply and who you miss terribly. And you might be heartbroken to hear that you won't be married to your spouse in heaven. You've received such a gift of love in this lifetime that the thought of not continuing your marital relationship with them brings about a great deal of sadness to you. I want to take a moment to acknowledge those folks 
who have experienced the loss of a spouse. Whether their passing happened just recently or perhaps it was decades ago, there is a heaviness, a hurt that you carry with their loss. So, I want to create a little space here this morning and pray a prayer over you from a tender book of prayers called Every Moment Holy. Will you pray with me? Father, we do come to you this morning to ask that you would comfort those who have experienced the loss of a spouse. And to all others who find themselves dismayed by this same alien loneliness, disoriented by the sudden inrush of silence at the end of marriage. This is an anguish multiplied by the fact that they've lost the very companion they would have shared such sadness with. So we ask God that you be with them in the emptiness, be present in the silence, be present, God, in the aching heart of this new and solitary sorrow. For it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Now we come to the second point in your outline is that our relationships in heaven will be deeper. I do believe that although we won't be married to our spouses, we will have a relationship with them and with those who have gone before us. It just won't be like the relationships that we've had here on earth. In eternity, it'll be better. It will be better. I mean, the marriage that we enjoy in this life provides us with just a taste, just a sampling, a glimpse of what is to come. And we can't imagine this side of heaven, how it could be better, but I believe that it will. Because by the time you and I receive our new bodies and are residing in heaven, at that point, all sin, at that point, all insecurities will be removed. And because of that, you'll actually be closer to your spouse than you ever were here on earth. You'll enjoy a greater intimacy with them. And although eternal marriage might be something that is, uh, for some, uh, very appealing, unfortunately, there's just not a scriptural basis for it. As again, we read, when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage, for they will be like the angels in heaven. A man won't take a wife, and a woman won't be given to a man. But in this part of the passage, Jesus, he doesn't explain why we don't remain married in heaven or get married. He only says that we will be like the angels in heaven, which apparently are beings who do not get married. So if there's no marriage in heaven, then there's no procreating. We won't need to produce children. It's also interesting in this passage that Jesus mentions angels. Again, when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. And I find this interesting because, as I said earlier, the Sadducees, they didn't believe in these spiritual beings like angels. But just the fact that Jesus mentions angels illustrates proof of their existence. So Jesus is correcting them and pointing out 
their heirs. He's pointing out their long-held misguided beliefs that directed their thinking in religious practices. And when it comes to angels, now I'm not going to get into this too much, but <laughs> many people have long held misconceptions about angels. You know a lot of these folks. And as we head into the Christmas season, one of our all-time favorite movies, It's a Wonderful Life, has a classic scene at the end with the little girl who says, who says, every time a bell rings, what happens? An angel gets his wings. That's right. Another popular belief is that when a person dies, they become an angel. Or vice versa, that angels can become people. We've seen this view depicted in books and movies over the years. But the truth is that angels are an entirely different creation than people. So people, when they die, they do not become angels. But what these kind of viewpoints illustrate is that we, as Christ followers, need to hold fast to the truth of God's word. You may have noted, when Jesus first responds to the Sadducees, he says, are you not in error? And in a minute, we'll see him conclude his time with them by telling them, you are badly mistaken. See, Jesus is not a relativist. He's pointing out their errors for sure, but also showing them that there is absolute truth. And there's still absolute truth today, no matter what our culture might be screaming. And this is important for us to remember, especially in an age where holding to truth is not seen as a positive thing. I mean, you don't want to seem like you're too rigid, right? Our culture says we need to make room for other views, for other beliefs. But if those views and beliefs are outside of the truths of Scripture, Jesus is saying, you are quite wrong. I mean, just think for a moment. Think about any of the hot-button issues that are uh, in our culture today and widely accepted by our culture, but are completely contrary to the Word of God. Jesus is saying, on those matters, you are quite wrong. So we need to hold fast to the truths of God's Word. Truths that have withstood the test of time. And now Jesus, he finishes his conversation by addressing the topic of resurrection. Verse 26, now about the dead rising. Have you not read in the book of Moses, in the account of the burning bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. You remember earlier, the Sadducees, they quoted from the book of Deuteronomy. And here in response, Jesus finds common ground with them by quoting from another book of the Torah, the book of Exodus, and the account of the burning bush. And in that account, God tells Moses that he's the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And by the time we get to this burning bush scene, 
Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob have been dead for a long time. But Jesus uses the present tense in referring to them because Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are alive and they're in the very presence of God. So Jesus, in mentioning this, points to the fact that there will be a resurrection. There will be a resurrection. Now remember, the Sadducees, they didn't believe in all this resurrection talk. And this was a big point of contention with them. Even though there are numerous passages throughout the Old Testament that point to resurrection. Like this Psalm of David. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. Nor will you let your faithful one see decay. Another psalmist writes, but God will redeem me from the realm of the dead. He will surely take me to himself. And then we jump over to the prophet Daniel, where he points to this as well. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. But there's a problem here with me citing these passages about the resurrection when it comes to the Sadducees. The problem, again, is they only believed in the first five books in the Bible. So the Psalms and the book of Daniel and their promise of resurrection didn't mean anything to these guys. In fact, they were opposed to any talk at all of the resurrection, as we see in this uh, scene from the book of Acts. Chapter 4, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus what? The resurrection of the dead. The temple guard and the Sadducees, they would go on to uh, imprison Peter and and John in jail. But the resurrection, as I mentioned earlier, is a cornerstone of our faith. As Christ followers, this is where our hope lies. You know, throughout time, there have been countless numbers of people who have considered the big questions in life. Where did I come from? Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? And in this exchange with the Sadducees, Jesus kind of cracks open a door and provides some clue about what life will be like beyond this life. One of my favorite movies is the film Dead Poets Society. And the main character in the movie is an English teacher portrayed by Robin Williams. And there's a very poignant scene where, uh, where Robin Williams gathers his class of all boys and shows them a picture of the school football team in the, in the trophy case. And the picture's from like 50 years earlier. In this scene, he tells his class 
that every one of those football players are dead. In fact, he tells them they are food for worms. And because of that, he challenges them to carpe diem, to seize the day. Now, some people could take this kind of challenge to mean, okay, seize the day. I'm going to take part in as many vices as I possibly can. I'm going to seize the day. If people get in my way, too bad. People get hurt, too bad. I'm seizing the day. After all, we're just going to rot in our graves and be food for worms. But that's not having a resurrection perspective. For those of us who are Christ followers, we know all too well the earthly bodies we have get old and worn out and die. But what happens next? What happens next? I mean, that's a question as old as time, isn't it? There are some clues in Scripture that tell us we will get new bodies. Thank God for that, right? New bodies, ones that will live forever. And although Scripture doesn't provide a whole lot of insight as to what our resurrected bodies will be like, it does say that Christ will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. And you might be like, well, that's, that's kind of cool, but what's that like? Well, after his resurrection, we learned that Jesus was able to pass through material objects. In John chapter 20, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. He was also able to disappear at will. In Luke chapter 24, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave things, broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. So I believe if Jesus was able to do those things with his resurrected body, then I will also, and so will you. And along with the ability to do those kinds of things, at the resurrection, we will also be free of the aches and pains and limitations that our earthly bodies have. Our bodies won't age or become weak, but instead will live forever. And the question for all of us to consider this morning, do you believe that? Do you believe that you will live forever? I mean, something that my wife and I have been talking about over the last couple of months is if she and I really believed in eternity, how would we, how should we live our lives differently? Because I don't know if you're like me, man. Oftentimes, I'm just going about my day, tackling the things in front of me. I'm not giving a thought about eternity. I'm so wrapped up in what's happening in my world. Anyone else like that? Yeah. 
It's a sobering thought, isn't it? Do you believe that you will live forever? And if so, are there changes that you need to make in your life now? I mean, that's a question for all of us to consider, no matter what stage of life we're in. Whether you're single, a kid, a grandparent, newly married, newly retired, how do you live your life now in light of eternity? How do you treat people? If you're a business owner or a supervisor, how are you treating your employees in light of eternity? What kinds of things are you investing in? Are you spending more hours at work than you do at home with your family? What kind of eternal investment are you making in the lives of people who are closest to you? Who's influencing you? Who has your eyes and your ears? You pay more attention to the 24-hour news cycle than you do to reading scripture, praying, and practicing spiritual disciplines in your life. As Jesus shared the truths of the resurrection with non-believing Sadducees, the challenge for you and I is to share the eternal hope that we have with others. We just have to remind ourselves of what the author of the book, A Grace Disguise, his name is Jerry Sitzer, what he said, but life here is not the end. Reality is more than we think it to be. There is another and greater reality that envelops this earthly one. Will you pray with me? Father, we're thankful again for our gathering this morning amongst family and friends. May our minds be committed to you, God, by the reminder that we are ministers for just a short while while here on earth, that you, our heavenly king, may summon us to retire into silence at any hour, at any day. In light of this truth, make all we do matter for eternity. For it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, let's go ahead and stand as we sing one more song together.
Well, it's so good to see you all this morning. Thanks for braving the elements. Please be careful as you make your way back home. I want to remind you, our prayer team will be right up here at the front. They would love nothing more than to come alongside you and pray for you in whatever it is that's your face. And again, thanks for giving. A reminder, you can give online, use the app, or drop your offering in the box in the back of the room. And if you want to... Uh, Read some more, look at some resources about angels and the afterlife. We have some resources in the well that you can find at timberlinechurch.org. All right, God bless everyone. Have a great rest of your week.